Welcome to the Homegirls with Degrees podcast. We are your hosts, Elsie and Lily. Welcome back to another episode. How is everyone doing? We hope you are having an eventful and restful summer like us. Before we get started, we will do a quick check-in with each other. Elsie, it is so nice to see you again. Thank you for meeting with me today. And today I want to ask you, what is something you have been working on this summer? Yes, it definitely feels so amazing to be reunited and it feels so good. (laughs) And it's summer. Yes, so it's definitely nice. Well, Lily, I've been doing a lot this summer. I'm I'm very excited, you know, that I was able to travel. Actually, I went to Hawaii with some friends and just, you know, took the time to relax, to swim. I hadn't swam in so long. Um, especially in the ocean, you know, out here in Long Beach, California, you can't really be swimming. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff in the ocean. (laughs) Um, So I had a lot of fun and uh, I had some amazing Hawaiian food. So just experiencing a different culture was was so cool. Um, I'm also, you know, currently working on a yoga certification program. So I'm very uh, excited to be you know, getting trained and hopefully helping teachers with their stress and um, their anxieties related to not only the pandemic, but also their personal lives. I think uh, for me, just learning about yoga and specifically the asana practice of yoga has been life-changing because I'm even using it within my own daily life and my own journey as like as a way to relieve stress for myself, you know, that we all have. Yeah. So I'm definitely taking this summer to be better to myself and yeah. to engage in self-care. But yeah, so how have you been, Lily? What what have you been up to this summer? Sounds super fun. Everything you've been up to, just self-care queen. <laughs> and I'm so happy you're doing your certification because we talked about it and I'm happy you're pursuing it. Mm-hmm. You will do so good at it. Thank so you. Um, similar to you, I've been slowing down and I'm really glad that we get that opportunity just because obviously work is a little bit slower during the summer. We're planning for the fall, but I've enjoyed time off and pretty much to reflect, relax, and simply be present in the moment. Mm -hmm. I know work gets overwhelming, stressful. And so this summer, I just wanted to spend time with my family. I finally took two weeks off and it felt so good to disconnect from my daily routine and break that routine to visit family in Mexico and of course, always going back to the motherland feels so good mm-hmm. and being outdoors in nature, um, grounding myself and reminding myself of the most important things in life. And I do want to spend more time outdoors the remaining of the summer. And I hope to do that and not fall into the pressure of planning anything extravagant or um, just outings. I see that a lot on social media right now. So I'm also trying to cut down on social media. So Mm -hmm. I'm just following my own rhythm, slowing down and flowing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's what I've been up to. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing about your summer. 
And today's episode, we will have a lot of fun today. So we will be focusing on our academic journey within higher education. As we shared on our previous episode, one of our passions is education. And we are both currently working in the educational system. We are not only educators, but we're also advocates for higher education. And as homegirls with degrees, we think it's important to share our journey and our experience with getting those degrees. It is necessary for us to share our story in an effort to inspire or encourage other individuals in similar situations. And I hope y'all enjoy. Yes. Before we begin our podcast episode today, we want to make a very important statement uh, for us. We both recognize that concepts like higher education, formal education, are rooted in colonization, white supremacy, and ableism. This means that knowledge is marked by power structures and white settler colonialism that shapes the ways that we all learn. However, we know that Western education is not the only form of knowledge building and nobody is uneducated. We promote education. We talk about this a lot, but we all bring value to this life. Whether you pursue formal education or not, we all have our own experiences and our ways of knowing. So it's really important for us to share that with everyone. And this is where we stand. And now moving forward, I want to ask you some questions and interview one another, get to know each other a little bit more. And um, can you share with us a glimpse of your upbringing, Elsie? Sure. Yes. So that's a very heavy question. I think if I were to answer that, I would have to start off with, you know, telling the listeners that, you know, I come from a first generation background meaning that my mother and my father, uh, they didn't attend college. They did not graduate. So I was the first one out of my family to obtain a college degree. And I think um, as a young girl, you know, my parents always instilled that education was the only avenue, right? The, The only thing that would bring you out of poverty, Right. Right. So I think um, they drilled that in me since I was a young girl. So I always felt like that was my upbringing. Um, I also um, always loved to teach others. Ever since I was small, I always had a niche for teaching and (laughs) for 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 listening. So I loved the aspect of school. So in terms of, you know, navigating college and all of that, I did feel alone a lot of the time because, like I said, my parents didn't know how to navigate it. So I had to learn on my own as I went. And I think not having that support was difficult, but I figured out, you know, that we could build community within our college. So not only, you know, with our classmates, but also look outside for like maybe um, mentorship programs Mm. for Latino students. And um, that really helped because you didn't feel as alone within the process of getting a college degree. Mm -hmm. So I definitely do see that I had to overcome a lot of racism as a child. 
because I went to schools that were predominantly white and Asian. So there, unfortunately, there's not a lot of cultural sensitivity. Mm -hmm. They don't really, a lot of the teachers were just very um, racist in the way that they felt towards black and brown kids. Right. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the black and brown kids were placed in special education. There were not a lot of interventions mm -hmm. or tutoring support for them. And I felt like that, pain, me knowing that really pushed me to obtain a college degree as well, mm -hmm. specifically within my area of, of school psychology, because I know that unfortunately, students of color are always overrepresented mm -hmm. in special education mm -hmm. and lower learning classes, you know, mm -hmm. so it's very devastating. But you know, I felt like all of those experiences brought me to where I am today. Mm -hmm. So um, I definitely have a lot of good memories too. You know, growing up, I was always allowed to be creative, to, you know, make art, to play dress up, you know, so it, I had a lot of good memories as a child. I just think that going into the educational system, right. <laughs> that's, that's where the hardships start because you know, you're different. Yeah. And I think um, overall though, I feel like my upbringing did equip me to obtain a college degree. So yeah, so I definitely love this question because there's a lot to, to say, yeah. definitely. But what about you, Lily? Can you share with the viewers and with listeners today a glimpse of your upbringing and what that looks like to you? Yes, of course. I always come back to this because if you know me, you know that I was raised in Oaxaca, Mexico with my family and my siblings. And I think that this unique upbringing established my foundation for the years to follow. Mm -hmm. um, growing up there, I witnessed the lack of access to education and fundamental basic needs for certain people. So this is kind of where my interest in social justice started developing. And it was important to me from that young age to eventually give back. It's kind of like a fuel, like a passion that you just want to give back and mm -hmm. change things right because if you don't like something and it really bothers you you want to create change so mm -hmm. that's where all my foundation and my values just started developing I did have a beautiful childhood I think um, obviously growing up there we're so free and nature and I just loved my childhood but um, once I realized that I had other opportunities by being born in the U.S. I wanted to take full advantage of them so my values growing up in a small hometown have shaped the person that I am today and I am always taking my culture, community, and uh, values into consideration. Um, as far as my family, I think that they didn't necessarily like instill like, oh, higher education. That was something that I always wanted to do because I mm -hmm. love school and I was always really good at school over in Mexico. Um, however, they did instill in me um, this kind of freedom. Like you have the opportunities and we will support you in whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. So whatever my sister decided to do, we, we supported her. Whatever my brother wanted me to do, they, we all supported him. And same with me. So I chose education. And I, from a young age, I knew I wanted to do um, pursue a career. Similar to you, it's kind of like 
you, you're looking for answers when you're young. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned earlier, it's something to get you out of poverty. And for me, I was what, six years old. And I was already thinking my answer or my ticket out, not that I'm not poor now, it's just a different life. And mm-hmm. education was always the answer for me. Mm-hmm. So I pursued it. I have, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about other experiences we have had um, because they've definitely not been easy, but that's kind of both of our foundations were established and um, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. Thank you. So I'm going to transition to the next question and um, this one in particular, I want you, or we will both share our academic journeys in higher education. Um, Can you go ahead and get started, Elsie? Sure. So, you know, I started at a community college because straight out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was very lost. You know, Um, I felt like I had been through a lot within my own high school journey Mm -hmm. that I felt like I needed that time to recharge you know um it was difficult even graduating from that school because um I had to deal with a lot of racism like I had shared with with you guys earlier um so I always felt like a victim in that school and um coming out of high school you know it, it was hard but I knew I always wanted to be within the educational field so when I was in my um, first year of college, I I think I studied childhood development, was it? Or ch- I'm not, was it child development? Early childhood. <laughs> there you go, yeah, one of those. Mm-hmm. And um, I obtained my associates, right? So then with that, I was able to work at a preschool and at a daycare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was definitely nice because I was able to work with children with the population I wanted. Um, but you know, unfortunately preschool teachers, early childhood education doesn't pay a lot, you know, so it was very hard for me to make ends meet with that, um, financial, um, career that you had at that time. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So I think, um, I always knew, okay, I, I want to do something else. I want to be a teacher or maybe work within a school. So then I applied for, um, I transferred over to Mount St. Mary's University and I obtained my liberal studies degree and then I minored in psychology. So I obtained my bachelor's of arts degree there. So, you know, um, once I graduated, I knew I did not wanna be a teacher because um, I just felt like I wasn't going to be able to reach them in a more Mm. personal level. Right. So, That's when I took a break. I took a year break from um, obtaining my bachelor's and I volunteered at a children's hospital and I worked for a whole year as a preschool teacher. Yeah. And that was very tough work. So (laughs) shout out to all the preschool teachers out there. Yes, go teachers. Yes. So um, definitely during that time, I was making some money, right? So I paid for my college applications that way, which was very nice. And I, um, I applied for a few programs for grad school for grad school. Yes. 
and uh, specifically programs that focused in school psychology because I was doing a lot of research and I know I knew that I wanted to do something with maybe psychology, right? So helping children in a more emotional level, psychological level. Mm. And that's when I came across school psychology and I'm like, okay, maybe this is my avenue. So um, I applied to a few programs and I got into Cal State Long Beach. And (laughs) yeah, that's where I met you, Lily. (laughs) So that was very awesome. I loved... um, I didn't really, um, I learned a lot from the program, right? But um, I felt like it wasn't fully, um, it just, you know, there's always a lot of gaps within whatever program you're in. There's always a lot to learn. So I definitely feel like, um, you know, once I obtained my educational specialist degree and my pupil personnel services credential, I was able to apply to a bunch of different schools. And um, with that degree, I was able to work at a K through 12 school um, as, a, as a school psychologist. And I, I loved it. I, I love counseling. Mm-hmm. I love assessing students for maybe a specific learning disability, for instance. That's a very common one. Um, and then presenting at meetings, right, with a whole team. The teachers are there, the principals there, the parents. So it's important. I have a very important role. And I, and I love it because we all work in a collaborative way to support the child. And that's really the whole purpose of the meeting is to make sure that the student is equipped with the proper accommodations and resources that they may need to um, fully grasp the curriculum. Yeah. So I, I definitely feel like um, my academic journey in higher education has been challenging, right. but I feel like it is very rewarding. So once you finish your program, you know why you work so hard. Yeah. At least for me, that's how I feel. I but um, I want to ask you the same question. May you please share your academic journey within higher education? Yes. Um, I really like how you explained you, and I can tell your experience is not linear and, mm-hmm. and that's something really important to know because we all think it should be smooth and easy and it's not mm-hmm. when you're going through it you compare yourself a lot to others yes, and you're like oh definitely. my god I'm not doing this right I'm not doing well enough academically or maybe I can be doing more mm-hmm. so I think just embracing all of our experiences and this is why we're doing this this right. is why we're sharing our own experiences mm-hmm. so I um, right after high school I actually went to college I always was active in high school because I knew it would help me in the long run like I had a lot of friends that would tell me if you want to go to college you have to be taking certain classes you have to do AP you have to do volunteering so I was doing all all of that and I did have some guidance um, as far as applying to college so I did go ahead and get accepted into a four-year university and I attended University of California Riverside I chose that school because I knew I wanted to move out of my house because I wanted that experience. However, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be so far away. It's literally an hour from LA. So, (laughs) but even that I did not come home a lot and they couldn't really visit me. So that was an experience on its own. I did not know what I wanted to study. I was undecided when I entered and I, even though I knew education was always like in the back of my head, I wanted to go for something safe, right? Mm -hmm. So 
in my senior year, I remember my friends and I, we were talking about like the medical fields, mm-hmm. like how awesome would it be to be a doctor, right? right? Or like a nursing. So I actually entered university with like um, nursing and quickly enough, I found out that I'm terrible at math. <laughs> I am not shy to say that I'm horrible at math and any science course. So my first semester, I knew that I wasn't going to pass any of those classes. So then I just took general education and then just talking to the advisors and just friends, I guess I started exploring more careers. And this is really important. I think that now there are more resources or um, there should be more resources for us to um, learn about different pathways within each career. So I feel like I lacked that. And that's why I wasn't exposed so much to what I could do within higher education. I mean, education in general, sorry. Um, and similar to you, we both pursued um, a degree in liberal studies, but we have so many options, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and deep inside, I always knew I wanted to, I feel like a boss, <laughs> like I want to coordinate or I want to just have a more administrative role Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like teaching wouldn't allow that for me and then also taking my upper divisions I was like already thinking and stressing oh my god how am I going to be a teacher I'm responsible for like 30 plus kids they all have different learning levels um, abilities if you know and so that just overwhelmed me so much Mm -hmm. and um I always said, if I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach the higher um, high school, let's say. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I had my own experience as um, a college student, and I can get into that later on. However, um, right after um, I earned my bachelor's degree, I took a year off because my only options with my liberal studies degree were to teach. Um, and I was debating that. And I think my last year I was learning more about like a master's degree. And so I took a time off. I was like, I'm going to take a year off, research, take a break because four years already in that environment um, was too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I needed a break. And during that year, similar to you, I also um, started interning. I interned at an after school program, like a tutoring program, and they had so many resources. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as reading, writing, that was their focus. However, I did tutoring and then I helped with the coordinator with the event and we visited different high schools to help them with their college applications. So Mm -hmm. all of that I viewed, yeah, and I really liked that portion. So I was like, I wanna do like more coordinating. Fast forward, I actually decided to apply for a master's degree instead of a credentials, teaching Mm -hmm. credentials. And so I found my um, program at Cal State Long Beach, similar to you. And I really liked and what my program itself embodied. So I really wanted to pursue that. It's a two-year program, short, and um, it, it focuses on different areas within education. Even that was a little broad, but um, I really liked that because I feel like if you're going to serve a certain population, you should be very well-rounded and just have a holistic approach mm-hmm. to, you know, your how you are as a professional. Right. So I learned so much in that program um, and I loved it. I think that just, how do I say it? Um, you do a lot of research with different programs, but I feel like, you know, when you're reading about the program, if that's like a good fit for you. 
Um, right. And I just feel like I fit in there as challenging as that was. I went ahead and spent three years with my program. Um, I decided to pursue um, a thesis. So every graduate program, as far as I know, has an exit um, mm-hmm. exam. exam, either it's a comprehensive, comprehensive yes, or a thesis or my program had a different, um, I guess, option. So it just very varies on the graduate program, but I chose a thesis route. That's why it took me a little bit longer. But three years later, um, I graduated with my master's degree in education. So I currently work um, at a community college. So mm-hmm. I am in higher education. So awesome. that's, that's my journey. Um, and now I actually want to focus more on how we navigated grad school. So for you, Elsie, as a student of color, how do you think you were able to navigate grad school and participate in particular, sorry, as an identified Latina? Yeah, so this is another heavy question. And I, I think, <laughs> you know, it's very hard graduating college period, you know, and I think uh, within statistics, 4% of Latinas graduate college. So it's very low. And it's very difficult, you know, to obtain a college degree because unfortunately college is not really set up for us for people that are black or brown right Mm -hmm. so I think that alone I I didn't know that actually going into college I thought it was going to be well it's going to be easy Um, but long and behold you know my program is very was very white Caucasian and um you know, as a school psychologist, it's very rare, you know, to be a person of color within that field, within that field. Actually, um, 85% or more of all school psychologists are are white females, white women. So, you know, just knowing that alone brings a lot of um, imposter syndrome, because you don't feel like you're part of your own job description, (laughs) you know, so I think navigating graduate school, was very difficult as a student of color. I mean, I have encounters with teachers who, you know, who doubted me, who, who silenced me based on their own fears or perceptions of what others would think of me because of what I was saying, even though what I was saying was reality. You know, I felt like an imposter being in grad school and being silenced when you're trying to express yourself is very, very humiliating. You feel like you don't belong. So I definitely feel like if you um, attach yourself or surround yourself with people who are like-minded or who share your same culture or uh, or another culture too, you know, that's not Caucasian, it's very helpful because you feel like you can actually graduate. You feel like you belong <laughs> when you surround yourself with others who look like you. Um, so I definitely um experienced a lot of racism a lot of microaggressions within grad school and I had to go see a therapist actually during college because I was just very conflicted like do I belong here like am I good enough am I smart enough am I educated enough to take this space to take space within my grad program so even when we would have like 
share outs, I wouldn't participate. I was so nervous yeah. or maybe afraid of what others would think of me. Yeah. So again, the comparison yeah. um, thing came out, right? Where you felt like, damn, like whatever I'm going to say is, is stupid. So why am I going to say it? Mm -hmm. So my therapist, you know, she was awesome. She would tell me, you know, you need to write out what, what you want to say before you say it. If that, that's something that made, that would make you feel more comfortable. Right. So I definitely did practice that. Um, but just, you know, having professors that would say certain things like Latino and, and Black kids are usually they end up being thugs. Oh you God. know, I think this was my first class I took. So just like having this dialogue, I'm like, dang, so what do they think about me? Right. Like you, you start you start kind of that was Lily's dog. <laughs> You know, you start to believe it sometimes, unfortunately. So I think um, as a person of color or a student, you know, you're supposed to, um, again, always tell yourself that you belong and feel like you do belong in these spaces. And I think for me, it was finding other people that look like me. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because that's how it was for high school, too. I literally it was hard for me to even be in high school because I was, you know, one of the only, one of the only Latinas there. So, you know, time and time again, you have these experiences where again, you feel like you don't belong, but um, I definitely think that strategies such as communication with others, building a community, Mm -hmm. talking about your feelings like I did with my therapist really helped me succeed and overcoming stereotypes overcoming what people expect you to become right because really those are just fears those are stereotypes that unfortunately have been instilled by the media mm -hmm. and I think we owe it to ourselves to better ourselves and I think it's always coming back to why did I start Mm. Um, coming back to I belong here so always telling yourself otherwise so whenever you felt doubt acknowledging that but not letting it consume you to the point where you fail yeah so I definitely think there's a lot of strategies or tips that helped me succeed yeah. um, but I do want to hear more about you Lily and how you navigated graduate school as a student of color yeah, um, similar to you, I think this question has so much into it and mm -hmm. um, it's kind of difficult to unpack everything at once. I do um, think that for me, my graduate program was very diverse, but even then I still felt like an outcast mm -hmm. and you start even in the first semester, you question yourself so much like, oh my God, I'm not good enough. I'm not a good writer. I'm not a good reader. Mm -hmm. You just put all these negative um, thoughts into your head and you're just discouraging yourself and psyching yourself out like oh my god I should not be here I'm right. not going to be able to do it but um, you know again even though my program was di diverse I still didn't feel feel like I fit in mm -hmm. um, there are so many difficulties that you face throughout your graduate program and definitely one of them is going to be you not feel and we are the first ones to pave the way right so it's obviously going to be something new something scary mm -hmm. um you this is the first time we're doing this right. so 
there's no guidance. I had to, um, obviously I struggled with all these negative thoughts like my first semester, but then once I started doing really good in my classes, I gained a little bit of confidence and you start building friends, um, like-minded people. We met each other, we have a support. Thankfully, um, I know for you, Elsie, it wasn't the same that you um, had supportive staff and mm-hmm. faculty. Mm-hmm. For myself, it wasn't that way. And I know other students might um, relate to that. They're not going to have as supportive staff, faculty, guidance. I thankfully did. Otherwise, I feel like I would not have made it through that program. Um, but there are other difficulties that um, I, I can share. Um, give me one second. Oops. Um, I want to focus on things that we were able to overcome. Mm -hmm. So during my time as a grad student, you know, I kept reminding myself of why I started similar to you, my community, my family. But overall, this was something I truly wanted for myself. Um, And at the end of it all, or, you know, it's been years, and I've been able to reflect a little bit more, I don't want to um, romanticize um, resilience either, because we talk about resilience a lot in our community and our Mm -hmm. culture. Um, But I mean, you know, we don't, we did struggle, but I don't want that to keep happening. Like we, that's why we do what we do. We don't want, because it's not okay. It's abuse pretty much what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's kind of like my my experience. Of course, we have positive things to say about um, grad school and our experiences, everything we have learned. It's not not all negative, but we want to be realistic Mm -hmm. (laughs) on how hard it is. And even for myself, I know you identify as Latina. I do as well um, in spaces such as higher education and um, obviously work, professional world. However, during grad school, I struggled even more because although I had a diverse cohort, diverse faculty, um, I I was struggling with my identity of being uh, indigenous, like my indigenous background. So that was something that I always, uh, yes, I'm proud of my culture, but also I had to recognize how um, we didn't talk, we, we talk about indigenous people like we don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So, or like we're something in the past. So I think, um, just breaking those patterns within myself is painful and um, decolonizing my ways of thinking. And Mm. I think that was also something I was struggling with in grad school. And Mm. so that's kind of like what I refer to as a student of color. Like I had to um, not fight with that identity, but just kind of process it on my own. Because again, even though I you know, I identified with other people, like maybe they're first generation, they identify as Latinos, well, maybe they grew up in um, SoCal, all these identities, but yet I didn't have someone in particular, I can share my unique identity as like an indigenous woman or coming mm-hmm. from that background. So yeah, that, that was like, you know, a lot to unpack and we can continue sharing. But I think it's, it's still very similar. We have similar experiences, but um, in our own unique ways. So I want to, um, you know, we shared a lot of difficulties and as students of color, um, now I would want to offer some advice because I feel like that has helped us um, 
a lot. How did we make it through? We share a little bit about, about um, some things that helped us. Did you um, have anything else you wanted to share? Yes. So, you know, like I had said earlier, I think my advice would be to build a community with others who are like-minded or who share the same identity as you. Um, I think it's important for us to surround ourselves with people like that, because then we don't feel as alone, Mm -hmm. you know, um, maybe even going to the student center and asking for maybe counseling support, academic counseling, social emotional counseling. I think for a lot of us Latinos or the Latinx community, what have you, sometimes we tend to um, not go to therapy, Mm -hmm. right? Because our families um, don't really practice that or they don't see it as important. But I think we need to break that stigma. You know, I think it is crucial for us to speak to a professional about our upbringings, about our patterns of behavior even that may be toxic, right? So I think for me, it has helped me a lot to to prep for my adulthood. You know, it has helped me to figure out negative ways of thinking and how to, how to fix that, you know? So, um, your advice I think that would be my my biggest advice is just to you know to build a community and to always a new community yes to always encourage yourself and to protect your own peace you know oftentimes Mm. we have experiences that that don't help us grow but I think if we talk about it Mm -hmm. it will become less heavy on us and I think we can always um become leaders of change sorry that is my dog (laughs) wanting to be part of our episode today i know come on puppy it's okay so i really like Mm -hmm. your advice elsie i think it's really helpful you did say something about um you want to find people that are like-minded or um identify as you i want to add to that Mm -hmm. and say i want you want to surround yourself with people that are understanding and open-minded about your identity. Like maybe you might not understand where I'm coming from or vice versa. However, I am um, empathetic and open-minded about it. So that's something I did want to share. Um, and that's, that's how I found a lot of, oh my goodness, he's being so loud. Um, sorry, everyone for the background noise. Um, but lastly we want to wrap up this episode and we want to showcase what we are currently working on uh, within our areas of expertise we've shared our background from young age our whole journey in higher education and now where are we now Elsie, do you want to share with us what you are currently working on either research or professional development any other Uh, personal projects? Sure. So, you know, within my own field right now, uh, like I said, I'm a school psychologist. So I'm currently trying to obtain my yoga certification so that I can um, create more equity with social emotional learning, Um, specifically training teachers and how to do yoga, mindfulness, meditation. I think it's important for me to bring this back to the school that I serve because oftentimes 
a lot of educators don't take the time for self-care, don't know how to do self-care. So it's important for me as a school psychologist to create a safe space for teachers, for students to build that social emotional aspect in their life. So yeah, that's what I'm currently doing as it relates to any projects that may, you know, contribute my community. Yeah. And the people that I serve. Yeah. I think that goes into all of it. You did have to do research. This mm -hmm. is professional development because now you'll be able to work in schools, right? Um, and then you can even do it as a side hobby, a side yes. job. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited. I, I'm thinking of even like once I get better at teaching yoga, <laughs> I'm thinking about maybe doing some yoga classes at the beach. Oh my you God. Know? Long Beach. Yeah. So I'm the super morning, excited. Like in the mornings yes weekend vibes yeah and what what are you currently doing to um enhance any research or professional development personal projects yeah so um I think that I wanted to take a break from like all of that after grad school I I did not focus on my personal projects mm -hmm. um I am very creative and so I needed to work on my creative projects and personal projects and I don't know if everyone is like this but I always have so many this podcast is one of them mm -hmm. I'm I also started writing I am I do have a blog and I hope to share that very soon it's more personal I'm very vulnerable if you will um, but that's something that I wanted to do for myself. And then I'm also very active in my community. So my thesis actually revolves around um, youth, indigenous youth um, identified as people from Oaxaca. So I actually went out, found people that wanted to organize like me. And so now we have built a community presence and we want to continue that, um, if you will, and give back to our communities. So I feel like that's like very well-rounded. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I feel like I'm doing a lot and I'm always busy. So, um, <laughs> and of course, if there's any other opportunities right now, going back in the fall, I am going to shadow someone. Um, she is a career counselor and she has so much experience mm -hmm. and I'm going to be working along with her and hopefully um, share and gain some of her certifications that she has done. So I'm really excited about that. That's, that's going to awesome. be my focus in the fall. So we're do both doing a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and I we're love it. Growing. We are both definitely growing within our fields, which is always nice. But this is um, this brings us to our closing. We want to thank all of our listeners for listening to our episode today. We hope you enjoyed hearing our stories and possibly even gained some insight on higher education. As the new year approaches and the school year approaches, our next episode will discuss helpful self-care strategies for educators. So we're excited for this one. So please stay tuned. Until next time. Bye-bye.